vinyl records, a big-time hobby of mine, a big-time passion for a lot of people, and it's something within the music industry that has been a big topic of conversation over the past few years because it seems that there is a boom. But there are some, some myths and some realities behind that, and so with this episode, I wanted to bring on someone who certainly knows his stuff, is pretty invested in in the process uh, of vinyl records, and and basically loves it probably even more than I do. Uh, <laughs> so his name is Chris Lantinen, and he's the owner of Modern Vinyl. You should follow him on Twitter at Modern Vinyl, and he runs ModernVinyl.com. Uh, he's also a professor at Edinburgh University in Pennsylvania, and Modern Vinyl's been around since uh, July of 2011. Also, when you're done listening to this podcast, if you if you like it, you can certainly check out his Modern Vinyl podcast. And there's also an offshoot called the Misaligned Podcast. So, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I, uh, I actually read your sports work, so this is kind of a, a cool thing for me. Well, is that a fact? Now, this is... That, that, that is a fact. That is... Uh, that's pretty cool. I was unaware of that. I kind of... I messaged Chris because I've, I've read his site for a couple of years now, and I, when I was doing this podcast and thinking up the first season, I knew I wanted to do a vinyl episode just because, one, I think the audience that would flock to this kind of episode is pretty, you know pretty passionate about it and I wanted to have a wide variety and those that are listening to this if you are unfamiliar with the other episodes from the first season of the records and riffs podcast you'll see I have certain band episodes and certain musician interviews and stuff so a good variety we can start in a number of places and I guess I guess I'll start with the movement I kind of want to I want to dive into this here the growth of the vinyl record industry, how it's changed so much in the past decade, where it might be heading. I mean, I'm sure you're well-versed in the statistics and the sales and, and all mm -hmm. of that. And before we get into that, the big, easy, broad first question, might as well just throw it out there, Chris. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your take, opinion on why vinyl records in 2015 are certainly a bigger thing than they were in 2010, definitely in 2005, and certainly for most of the 90s into the turn of the century. Why has this become a thing that's, I wouldn't even call it a trend anymore. I mean, it is certainly a, a part of, if not a major part, but still a part of the the music listening experience. Why has it had this revival? I, yeah, I think it's graduated from trend to hobby, I guess, is <laughs> kind of the term it's graduated to. And I, that seems to be the big mystery. There were genres that kept the vinyl record alive during its lull period for however many years that was. So much so that the um, whoever tracks the sales stopped tracking them. Oh, so, is that know. a fact? Wow. Yeah, so when we reach these records every year, like the 13 million last year, however many it was, it's the most we've sold since you know the 90s because they stopped tracking them. <laughs> so we're never actually setting a vinyl record because obviously that's all they bought back in the day. Hmm. But in terms of how why it stayed alive, I think it w was genres like the punk genre, um, you know, like hip hop singles, things that just kind of kept vinyl in the in those little pockets, right? So those fans have survived and stayed alive buying, you know, punk singles from, you know, whether it's MXPX or Bad Religion or whoever. Um, and I think that's how it kind of stayed alive through the through those that lull and those dead years. But in terms of why it took off now, 
it's it's it really is mysterious. I don't know if it was just because of the inflation of the CD and the fact that places were selling CDs now for, you know, $20 or more and how major labels kept kind of jacking the price up. And, you know, maybe we wanted a physical product that was actually worth owning. You know, if you're looking to collect music, uh, there's no real better format to display and set up in your, you know, quote unquote den, right? There's no real better format for artwork to shine. And in terms of artistic integrity, designers themselves can go all out in, you know, the space allotted in a vinyl record. So it attracts those types of people. And, you know, if you've got a collection of CDs, like most people do my age and like your age, I mean, the really the only benefit to CDs now is being able to throw it into iTunes and getting it onto the iPod, right? Yeah. But you, you get that with vinyl now. They all come with digital download cards. So in my mind, there's real no there's really no reason to pick a CD over vinyl despite the price difference now the 10 the, the five to ten dollar price difference so maybe that was it i'm not you know it's it, it a lot of these questions about the future of vinyl and why it's come back so heavily you know it's really tough to pin down because i think it was a myriad of reasons it was that collectability it was that being fed up with the cd it was you know just maybe music fans willing it willing it back to life you know maybe maybe that's what it was i'm not really sure yeah i don't think there's one answer but i am very intrigued by the trend because if i'm gonna step back and go broad here so basically yes there definitely was a point where i remember going to a borders 2001 2002 2003 and wanting to get a cd or two and two cds would have cost me like 45 bucks with taxes and i'm like right. this is ridiculous like I, I'm, <laughs> I i definitely remember having a moment where i'm like i'm not paying this much money for a cd it's just not going to happen and that coincides with napster and downloads and limewire and Kazaa and all that stuff and maybe there's a little bit of a connection to that and vinyl having a point where it was relatively affordable but now and i'm kind of getting into this while i was playing it later in the podcast i will say that vinyl records and there are probably good economic reasons for it but there are probably good reasons to be cynical about it vinyl records to a certain degree are reaching a point where cds were like i'm sorry but like i I, you should not be having to pay 30 dollars for a new vinyl release in 2015 I, there's a huge backlog on so many records and companies because there aren't enough plants around the around the world, around the United States, either one. And I, I don't know. To me, I, I don't think that this is a bubble that's going to pop necessarily. But I will say that I've definitely pump faked at local and independent record stores many times from buying six records and walking out with three simply because... You know, I, I see a record on the shelf and I want to support the store, but I see this record is $28 and I know that I can get it on Amazon and I'm a Prime member for 20 bucks with free shipping. Why am I going <laughs> to do that? If it? And, it, you know, it's just 8 bucks or whatever. No, but if I'm going to buy three records, you know, that's 24 bucks. That's the price of another entire record. And so there's a balance between independent record stores, in my opinion, from the spirit of supporting those institutions, and we should because I think they really add something to a community that's beyond 
the typical snarky audiophile elitist. I, I think having record stores is, right. is really good because I think having young uh, boys and girls be introduced to music in those kind of ways, I think it can be a very um, powerful kind of thing. But I think there's a little bit of fleecing going on here. And I don't know if it's because record store owners might think that the, they've got something that's good and they want to hold on to as long as they can and they might be you know, upping prices in certain regards. I don't know what it is, but to me, the record... The vinyl buying person, the average person, maybe not even the average, just the one who really cares about it, the record store owner knows because the record store owner is one of those people, knows how devoted they are to that craft and how it can be an addictive kind of thing. In fact, you had a great uh, couple of posts on this in the summer of 2015 where a a guy was explaining getting into it and how it can be. So, like, you buy five records, I need to have 105 in the next three months. (laughs) And so... I'm kind of rambling here, but I think there is something. Would you agree with that? That there's a little bit of fleecing going on here because, all right, I really want this. I'm gonna be willing to pay 27 bucks, even though it'd be more fair to pay it 22. To me, it's just vinyl records are now approaching a point where they shouldn't be this expensive, and we could see a little bit of a backlash going the other way. Oh, there's a very big backlash going the other way. I mean, there is a ton of hate for like you said the this price fleecing and I, I always go back to this article i read around one it was one of the record store days whenever record store day comes about there is an avalanche of negative vinyl pieces and i can't remember who wrote it it might have been from like numero group or some label like that but he's talking about major labels and he said major labels are shooting themselves with the same gun in the same foot with the same bullet in regards to what they're doing with the vinyl record, because if you were around while CDs were rising in price, it all goes along with this this white album rule that a lot of people refer to, and that if you reissue something like the white album over and over again, you do it because you know people will buy it over and over again. So that's what's happening with the vinyl record. We are falling into the white album rule. We are literally reissuing the white album in stereo and mono and we're clogging up plants. There's a huge Queen reissue campaign going on right now. Right. Do do we really need all the Queen albums reissued? Probably not. <laughs> do we need them to be $25 each? Probably not. But now that the trend is at a point where it is a hobby, the majors have grabbed onto this and are not letting go. And so they are one clogging plants. And they are they are too able to control the market price, which is a snowball effect. They raise prices, you know, sometimes blaming it on, you know, the materials um, going up in expense, but probably going up a little more than they have to. Then the record stores have to sell it for more because they have to make a profit. And it just snowballs, you know, and that's probably why you can get it cheaper for Amazon because they don't have to have such a large markup. And that's kind of the problem that I think indie stores find themselves in. I still try to support indie stores as much as possible, but like you said, you know, it is hard. Uh, are you from the New York City area? Right? I live, yeah, so I live in southwest Connecticut. I live in Fairfield County, which is one of the more affluent counties in the Northeast. And uh, there are, uh, Connecticut actually has a, a couple, uh, a few charming record stores across the state. Uh, but I've been record shopping in New York City plenty. In fact, whenever I, if I ever have a morning or an hour and I know I'm within a subway ride, I try and go to a record store in, in Manhattan or Brooklyn that I've never been to. But, I mean, it's just, it's so funny. Like, sometimes it's, like, amazing when, like, Sub Pop, which has fought this to a certain degree, 
um, it always feels like if I can get a, if there's a sub pop artist whose record I don't have, I feel like I can get my money's worth with one of those records. But so mm-hmm. often here, um, yeah, I, I think there is a chain effect. Uh, and it, and it's tough, man. I mean, listen, this is definitely a first world problem that we're talking about. But like <laughs> well, music yeah. is. Listen, here's the deal, though, Chris, is that music is such a personal thing. You know, I try and be as ethical as I can with it because I want to pay for the music that I own. And I'll fully admit that I've I have dozens of LPs that were either burned for me or given to me. Someone might have acquired them through. Uh, illegal means over the internet. I'm none of us are innocent in that way, but it it makes it tougher when you want to acquire this music and and vinyl, you know, collecting is is such a, a thing of pride for a lot of people, and you know it's it's unfortunate because the basis of all this is I'll say is this: I got into vinyl records where like I made the decision like I want to I want to do this in 2009, which was a couple years after the boom. Would you say the boom like really began like what 2006 ish maybe 07? Something yeah, like that. probably. I don't know when like the first big year was when they hit like a million, two million, but it's obviously steadily went. Yeah, up I was I was maybe a couple years late to to the party, but right right when the trend was going, and and part of it was you know I loved digging in the one dollar bins, and I was and half of my collection right now is records I bought used, and I have no problem with the fact that they're used, and at the time in '09 and even in 2010. They were still mostly fairly affordable in most cases, and I would qualify that as saying I didn't, I had no problem paying the prices I was paying. They weren't 30 bucks for a new release for a vinyl. But increasingly, and Record Store Day and Record Black Friday Record Store Day, you know, with the major companies has just, you know, it's kind of slowed that. But we're still seeing, I mean, every year it keeps going up, Chris. I mean, I'm, I mean, it's crazy. Like, Every year since 2006, it's gone. The record sales, which is a good thing. I mean, I'm happy it's happening, but I hope that we're not, you know, going toward a point where the supply and demand kind of just implodes on us. I think, and we also have to look at who are these new customers. Like, we want to welcome new customers into our hobby, but we want to welcome them in a welcoming way, right? So when we have all these new customers who are relying on, you know, Crosley record players who are buying records from, who are starting their collections at an Urban Outfitters or at an Amazon, and they hardly, some of them even know a record store exists, right? These are not the kind of customers you want to breed. I think the culture is a little offset right now in that people and then the the new people come in and they don't know about the previous prices like we do so they look at things like uh, recently i wrote about these amazon vinyl exclusives and i don't know what the deal is with them but one of them is footloose the soundtrack to footloose right we can find that in dollar bins across the nation they're charging 25 dollars for a new pressing so it's just we're bringing new customers into a culture that is a little off and kind of inflated, and but but they're not going to know the difference. They're going to think this is normal. And eventually, in anything, consumers are going to run out of money. And we're kind of heading towards that point now, where it just gets to be a little too much. And I'm I'm curious as to where the breaking point's going to be personally. I am too, because with music, and I and I. You know, I think about like what the DVD business has been because I couldn't even tell you. I'm not remotely 
in tune with it, but, you know, it seems, you know, from 1997 to maybe 04, 05, I'm sure that business was just unbelievably profitable. But then when people can just torrent movies and in mm-hmm. 1020p, I'm sure the sales have dropped off. Music, listen, music fans, you're always going to have a really dedicated, tiny fraction. Like, But that's not, ultimately, that's not going to prove to be a successful business model in the big picture here. And if you're going to keep pushing these price points, you do stand the risk of totally saturating the market and people going and illegally downloading music again. And listen, it's been a great move, and I've been pleasantly surprised to see that pretty much any vinyl record, not everyone, but because I don't even think Tame Impala's Currents actually offered a download card, which was surprising to me because it was the first time, and I don't even know how long, that I bought a new vinyl record and there wasn't a download card. So it's been good to see that they've embraced that. If you buy the physical embodiment of the music, you can download, you know, something of decent quality usually 320 off the internet to put on your computer on your ipod or whatever and that's been really good because the other factor here is the way that people can listen to music is more diversified than it's ever been and do you you probably know but i'll just a quick pop quiz and for listeners maybe <laughs> ten, do you know what the source where people listen to more music now than any other place Hmm, like a device? And it's not, like, just where people would go, people, when people listen to music, and I don't know if this is, I heard this recently, I don't know if it's worldwide or the United States or whatever, where do people listen to music, whether it's, you know, I don't want to give it away, what would you think it is? It's not even close, by the way, the overall winner. Um, let's see, I'm going to say a weird one, I'm going to say Pandora. It is YouTube, and there's no <laughs> close second place, Okay. It's crazy, right? And YouTube has been something where, obviously, you go to any official YouTube, Vivo, whatever it is, you got to sit through a 30-second ad before you start a song, mm-hmm. which is fine, whatever. But my point is, between Pandora's and Spotify's, the radio, which is just dying, I mean, I'm surprised radio stations even exist to the point that they do these days, and YouTube, you've got so many people that can listen to music in so many different ways that it's been great to see vinyl records have this ascension over the better part of the past decade to where what last year Chris I've got the figure in front of me here so last year they grew by 52% from the year before there was 9.2 million records sold in 2014 6.1 in 2013 and that number gets smaller as you move further away from the current year which is crazy I mean and it was good that you know Jack White's Lazaretto was the highest selling vinyl record and I think Daft Punk was second highest but right. I mean, Lazaretto sold 87,000 copies on vinyl, which is like nothing. Like for vinyl, it's great, but for overall, it's like it's absolutely nothing. Um, and overall, the the number of units moved in a year for vinyl compared to downloads and CDs, like CDs, which are dying, still outpace vinyl records five, six, sevenfold. I mean, it's still that race. Yeah. It's still a it's still a huge disparity. I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go either. And we're not going to spend the whole podcast talking on the the state of the vinyl boom necessarily. But it's been interesting to see. I don't think the movement is all positive. I would love if there was some sort of, you know, oversight to, but I mean, I guess it's the free market. It's going to be what it's going to be. But as someone who runs a a site dedicated to music on vinyl, you know, what are your overall takeaways from what it was even when you started the site, you know, four years ago or whatnot as to what it's to become? Are you still as 
as emotionally invested and into this now as you were four years ago, or have you been kind of discolored by some of the trends of the past couple of years? Well, I don't know. That, that's a tough question because I feel like I am a little emotionally not detached from it, but I've become more detached from it probably just because of life things, you know, getting a full-time job and, you know, having to balance the site more so than just being able to do that and nothing else. You know, in the summers, it's my life, but in the fall and in the spring, it's obviously very far from that. I think probably the biggest impact anything has on me is when I look at indie labels or smaller labels run by one person, like a Broken Circles Records out of New York or a Tiny Engines or, you know, a Top Shelf or really any of those labels that have kind of headed up, you know, these various, in quotes, revival movements, right? Mm-hmm. It's these labels, you know, talking on Twitter about how, you know, like plant delays have changed. And so they're missing their deadlines on being able to promote the vinyl record actually at release time. You know, so that that's the kind of stuff that sours it a little bit for me is that I see these labels I've covered for four years now being left behind in a way that it messes up their hard work. And then I see things like, you know, mass market reissues that nobody needs or that are poorly done come out on the release date because they shot up to the top of the production chart, right? Because they took a step ahead of them at the pressing plans. And I have heard many stories about people's releases getting pushed further and further down for some crazy box set that we perhaps don't need. So I think that's probably the thing that really has the biggest emotional impact on me. And that's only because I've covered these people for so many years and I know how passionate they are and I know how many people they've brought into the hobby, you know, just by their hard work alone. And to see them kind of get, you know, not pushed down, but because they don't really need me to fight for them, but just kind of, you know, disregarded in that pressing process is a little disappointing. Yeah, for sure. It's and and listen, this is certainly uh and it's not going to be all pessimism on the podcast no, here. It's no, like no. <laughs> it's such a it's such a fun thing. It's I do feel, I don't want to say it's at a crossroads because I don't think it is. Um I, you know, record store day was something that was you know, started with really good intentions and there are some really cool things about it, but now it's reaching or has clearly reached a point in uh, record store Black Friday is another one where, you know, they've got all these releases. There's so much, but it's it's also become this thing where people flip. Re- and listen, if you can flip and you're gonna make money, you can't stop it. But like, it's people sit in line outside these record stores every April <laughs> and every November, sometimes the night before. And some of the like I've sat in line before a record store day to get a couple of records because I knew there was only one or two in the store and I had to get there and I really wanted it. So I've done that. And there are others like that will just do it buy 10 records for X amount of dollars and know that they can flip it and make a 400% profit, if not more on it. So that's, you know, disheartening, but it's also just a fact of the business because mm-hmm. the fact is it goes back to that small, tiny percentage of people that either they don't have a record store near them where they can obtain this and they're willing to just throw down $350 for a rare pressing of something or a repressing or a special edition or whatever. But that's also, by the way, that's been something that's been part of, and I, and I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but you mentioned, you know, the punk scene in particular that kind of helped vinyl 
keep its eyes above water um, throughout the throughout the 90s. But this whole notion of different colored discs and and different <laughs> different sleeves and different notes and different editions that's not something new, right? That's something that's been around and has been part of the obsessive vinyl collectors <laughs> catalog for decades, right? Well, it's, you know, this idea of being a variant collector and having to collect, you know... A completist, you know. Right, a completist and having to collect one of each. And there's not really too many of those out there. And, you know, in terms of the in terms of the flipping, you're going to have flipping no matter what. People flip shoes. People probably were flipping, you know, for, uh, Force Friday toys, a bunch of adults <laughs> steal, stealing them from kids, you know, because they need toys apparently. Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen with anything, you know, and... You know, looking past all those things, it's just we have, and I think this is an optimistic thing, we have too much demand. You know, the the demand is outweighing the supply at this point. They literally cannot make records fast enough. Right. So as rough as that is for the label, for the consumer, that means something, something special is happening. As to they're literally bogging down plants. I mean, United Records can do 30,000 to 40,000 records a day. I mean, that's, and that's their, out of Nashville. That's, that's I think that's, yeah. is that the biggest one in the United States? I think it is, right? Well, I don't know if it's the biggest one in the United States, but they are expanding. Okay. So I know they just recently expanded, but they literally got to the point where they had to refute new customers. So if the demand is outweighing the supply, that's both a good and bad thing. Mostly bad for indie labels, you know, people like Asian Man Records and and Mike Park who owns that. And he he talked in a recent article about how it had been like two months and he still didn't have a test pressing, right? He still didn't have like the five records they had to make for a test pressing. So, I mean, that's that's obviously an issue, but we ha- we do have to be a little optimistic about the fact that it's getting so crazy that, you know, the plants literally can't keep up with how many records people want to buy or at least how many records we want to create. I don't know if, I don't know what the percentage is in terms of pickup rates or anything. Yeah, it's it's wild though. And that's, been a serious reality is that there are so many records and bands that want to and small bands listen if, I, I totally get that feeling you're in a small band you might have a decent following relatively speaking and you just want to have the experience and like hold a vinyl record of your band in your hands and just say you did it and you might only want a thousand pre- you know thousand records pressed but even that you can be waylaid what like five months six months especially if you know it's just a tiny indie outfit and so some of these bands unfortunately are as you said keep getting pushed further and further back to the line um mm-hmm. kind of changing gears here what i will say is and i've been i've been glad to see this is fortunately with vinyl records getting more and more into the the social consciousness again like basically from the invention of the gramophone record way, way back when sonny and, and whenever <laughs> like the 1800s i don't even know when it was like way back when uh up up through you know 1986 when they started to decline because the cd boom was just taken over uh, it wasn't considered this social statement, this hipster elitist kind of thing that you listen to vinyl, because that is just what you did. Unless you were the elitist that listened to eight tracks. I'm totally <laughs> going on what my parents must have done, because I wasn't alive at that time. Cassettes now. Oh, exactly. Oh, which, yeah, which is totally weird, by the way. That I do. That come on. That is that is the dead truth, Chris. If you're <laughs> if you're buying cassettes, like there is no there is no tangible reason to buy cassettes, because from 
a listening standpoint, it's not a supreme medium whatsoever. But hey, listen, there's always going to be a, a group of freaks that are into that kind of stuff. I, I don't I don't judge the <laughs> the cassette buyers. Point I'm making is, you know, from 06 to 2010, 2011, 2012, whatever, it was definitely vinyl was still as seen as this like, you know patches on the sleeves hipster kind of brooklyn thing now it's at least fortunately like no just it's it's a really cool fun way to embrace listening to music right i mean this is at least become or is becoming more normalized by the year again i mean at this point i think it's more hipster if you carry a cd walkman around you yeah know, something <laughs> like that like that's that's you trying to be a hipster i but... do have a i do have a buddy by the way who's still he he's gonna die with the CD. He thinks it's the perfect <laughs> blend because he thinks it's the sound quality and the portability of it. He's 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 all about the CD. But you're absolutely right. If you get caught walking around with one of those things, that is the hipster statement. <laughs> I'm gonna bring back mini discs. <laughs> start mo- modern mini discs next. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's it's always the early adopters of any trend are always gonna be considered hipsters you know but the 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 re-adoption cycle works in that way um especially when it's something retro coming back but you know as it gets to the mainstream culture that idea kind of gets forgotten like you said but again i think all the early adopters are going to be painted in that light if you think of you know even the recent apple announcement i'm already thinking of people that i'm going to see with the apple pencil and we're gonna think they're hipsters until we all have a goddamn Apple pencil, you know, attached to our hip for some reason, whatever it does. So I don't. I think it's just gonna be something that repeats itself. And I mean, I don't think I don't consider anybody that buys records a hipster. They also pay my bills, so I can't sit here and you know make fun of them. There you but, go. But um, I, I guess the idea is that you have to be sitting at home, you know, smoking a pipe to be listening to a record, and they all come with digital downloads. And you can, you know, if you have the technology, I suppose you can burn a record quality sound to put on your MP3 or whatever. And and like you said, there is that audio, there is that audio advantage, they say, to listening to a, to listening to a vinyl record that you get. So, you know, I don't consider them hipsters too much, but that would be calling myself one. So I guess I'm, <laughs> guess I'm selfish. All right, let's, let's do some self-indulgence here and, okay. and talk about why you like the vinyl experience because I think listeners will be able to identify with some of the things that we discuss here, even if they might be obvious on the surface, but, uh, you know, why why do I like it? Yeah. Why do you like, listen, there, there are some commonalities and some universal things I feel when it comes to people buying and listening to music on this, this format, this, Mm -hmm. this, you know, polyvinyl chloride, that is, music is amazingly pressed to it. This basic, I guess, somewhat ancient technology, which still kind of blows my mind, that it's, it's by far to me the most, it's the most enticing way to listen to music. So, but for you, why is vinyl listening and vinyl collecting and everything about it? What, what draws you to it to, to the point where you, you know, you've, you have a sight about it and it's, it's clearly part of your everyday life? Well, I mean, I think it's I think it has to be part of that full album experience. I mean, you can't have a mixtape on vinyl, right? Unless it's, you know, made in some illegal way or if it's a soundtrack compilation or something. It's not a mixtape, it's a full album experience, and I think we we have lost a lot of that full album experience in the digital revolution in the onset of, you know, mixed CDs and being able to burn whatever you want to a CD. 
So I do, I like having to actually pay attention to what's going on because you have to flip it, you know, you have to actually pay physical attention. And I think that's probably, that's probably the big thing, but there is a, there is a collector in me, right? You know, I collect prints and I love collecting records. I love having a shelf full of records that when people come over, I can actually pull things out and show it to them. You know, I think it's like anybody that, you know, maybe collects like steelbook DVDs or, you know, uh, records or prints or anything like that. Even somebody that collects like shoes, right? I think there's all there's a there's a collector in all of us. It just manifests itself in very different ways. You know, like my dad doesn't collect tools, but he has so many that he could probably give everybody in the world a toolbox. And that's his collection. And it's kind of the same thing with me with records. That may have sounded hipster, that last part. No, no, I don't think so whatsoever. <laughs> I, I think I really like album art. I think that's one of the two or three biggest components to people that like to collect vinyl is because in the 60s and 70s, there was certainly a lot of attention paid to what the record looked like and, you know, the inner jackets the multi-gatefolds, how it kind of... Sp I, that, to me, is still so cool. And it was mm -hmm. something that you lost to a huge degree with CDs and then obviously totally evaporated once you're able to download music digitally. I mean, that, that and, component is gone. And I mean, you even have to pay attention to the buying and the collecting, or the, the buying aspect of it, because these records go up at a certain time. Um, they sell out quick. Yeah. The people that get a copy, it builds this it automatically builds this interconnected community, right? And if you're not in it for the flipping, there is literally attention you have to pay to every single step of the process. You have to pay attention to the buying. You have to pay attention to the care. Like you have to care for records in a certain way or they'll get warped or, you know, you know anything like that. And you have to pay attention when you listen. So it's, I don't know, I felt like, you know, at some point in my life, I had lost this direct connection to music, and this was kind of my way to get it back, I guess. Yeah, and I would also describe it as, if you're really into it, like if music is a huge thing, and hopefully most people listening to this podcast, it is, in their lives, it takes work, but it doesn't feel like work. All the things you're describing, like from the very basic listening process where you've got to flip, you've got mm -hmm. to flip it, you know, side A, side B, side B to side C on a different, you know, disc altogether to knowing, you know, the sales process and the units selling and when you can go buy it because you never know if it's going to be there or not. It's it's definitely a, a huge thing of passion. I also, to me, because I do listen to plenty of music on streaming devices and my iPod. I do that a lot. It, to me, with vinyl, it's almost, it's not special occasion, but it's like, if I'm going to put on a vinyl record to listen to it, I'm going to pay attention listening to it. Like it's, I'm really going to, you know, embrace and just sit down and just be with the record, especially when you get that record for the first time, Chris. That's what I love is when you get that record, <laughs> and like it, it, I'm telling you, like it's it's a it's an experience that you that kind of stays with you for anyone that is maybe debating getting into this. Like think about when you were seven years old, eight years old, 12 years old, and you might've gotten like a new toy and it's in the wrapping and just like the, the, the thrill of like just unwrapping it, just getting that thing open, getting it into your hands. You still have that as a music lover. I'm 34 and it's still something that I'm, I'm so attached to just buying the record, ripping the cellophane off ever so delicately and carefully. Mm -hmm. I love the sound of it. Like a good new book, the crack of a spine, the same thing with the crack of that record. If you, when you open it up, the way it smells, you carefully you put it out, the, put it pull out of the sleeve, drop it, <laughs> drop the needle down, 
oh so gently as as Eddie Vedder says in Spin the Black Circle and it's just it's it's a cool thing especially when you've got the lyrics and you've got the, the artwork there there is definitely for people that are really into certain bands and artists Chris that is to me the the most romantic possible relationship you can have is when you get that record and you know so much about the band but you want to learn more about it and maybe there's there whether it's by pictures or stories or anecdotes that might be in the liner notes you get to it gets to be educational as well i think that's why i still am so attached to it as someone who did not grow up with this by the way i as i said i came into it way late and when i did i think i gained something that i always had wanted but missed out on in the CD buying experience in my teens. Well, you just described the warm sound of analog, right? It's not, you notice how when I said all the things I love about vinyl, I never mentioned sound because that's a very hit or miss argument. Yeah, I agree. Most of these reissues are just digitally sourced sound that they put on a record. It has to be mastered for vinyl. It has to have gone through a very particular process to actually be better than digital. And there are cases where the vinyl is clearly better than digital. And, you know, we review a lot of records and we do sound quality. And I really, really try to compare those two avenues. But to me, the warm sound that everybody describes when they hear a record is not is not any anything in particular. It's just the warm feeling you get when you like you said, open it up and put so much effort into obtaining it and putting it on the turntable and cleaning it before you play and mm-hmm. doing all these things. That's really the warm sound. It's it's not a sound, it's a feeling. That's a really good way of putting it. And yeah, it's uh, for those who are listening that might have, you know, their dad's old record player, maybe they want to get a new one. Do you have any recommendations if people wanted to you know, flirt with <laughs> dipping their toe into this pool that can turn into an addiction pretty quickly. Turntables. Um, I, I, by the way, I would personally recommend, you know, listening with and without headphones is two different experiences. I love listening to vinyl and headphones, particularly at night when the wife is trying to sleep. Uh, both really work well. Um, but from speakers, they might want to get just, and you know, it doesn't have to be total you know entry level stuff and and nothing that's gonna you know cause them to just rack up credit card debt or anything but if people want to get into it i also wanted to give them an idea of what kind of player and what Mm -hmm. goes into actually getting a setup like this that's relatively affordable in you know the current 2015 2016 Uh, i mean my my beginning table recommendation is always just the audio technica it's 99 dollars. you can get it on amazon it's the atlp 60 um again again 99 bucks it goes up to like 109 if you want to change colors or whatever it has a cover it is what you need you can replace the needle on it it's not a crosley which always helps and after that you need you know a receiver and you need a couple speakers and you have a setup you know you can get you can get a crosley it's not gonna people say that it ruins your records and i think it does have a negative effect but Unless you're playing them all the time, I think you'll be okay. And that has speakers built in. Yeah, Crosley is, for people that might not be aware, it's if you think about a record player in 1944, that's like wooden, right? And it's right. it's got like the old-time radio in it, maybe something. That's basically what a Crosley is. Yeah, and they're trying to replicate that look and make it look vintage and all that stuff. But I would say, you know, the Audio-Technica, I think you can get a solid setup, you know, for 100 bucks, 150 You know, if you want to go up from there, that's up to you. And then records 
go to a yard sale and uh, the best advice I can give to people is go to a yard sale, get some vinyl cleaning solution and just fix a couple of those up because most of them just need a good clean. Some of them are scratched and they're going to be screwed up regardless, but some of them just need a really good clean to get some of the dirt out of the grooves and you'll have a pretty good sounding record. Cool. So. I would also recommend in terms of a stereo receiver, sometimes you'll need a receiver that separately needs uh, a preamp attached to it. I just use a Sherwood RX4109 and it's like 85 bucks, 90 bucks. I can't remember. I bought it at a Radio Shack in 2009. It's never failed me. It does it just fine. It's got, you know, good clean sound. So you can definitely get the, you, if you're basically like, okay, I want to start listening to vinyl records in a month from now, how much money do I need to spend? You can get all of this in five or six records easily for under 500 bucks. It can, it can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if people really want to look online, you'll find that the audiophile community can get just totally over the top and insane. And I think I think that is yeah. that that that's chasing a carrot you're never going to get. I've never, Chris, I've never really bothered too much with trying to recapture the sound in my ears that was made inside the recording studio. As long as the record player is clean and I'm and I'm getting a good needle and and everything's coming through okay. I've never been too bothered by trying to attain and buy these, you know, $1600, $3000 record players and turntables <laughs> cuz it can just get insane. Don't go down those forum board uh, wormholes. <laughs> no, Don't do it. Absolutely. Uh, let's wrap this up by explaining. Just give a little people a little taste of your site. If um, if people are well versed in a lot of what we talked about, but they might not be aware of your site, what kind of stuff do you offer up on the regular over at modernvinyl.com? Yeah. Uh, well, the address is modern-vinyl.com because we you know couldn't pay for modernvinyl.com. <laughs> but uh, so if you got to put the dash in there, there you go. But, yeah, well, mostly we do news. Um, we have a lot of exclusives from kind of the indie music community, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, tracks and everything. Uh, so today in terms of news, we had Promise Ring, Wilco, Third Eye Blind, Arcade Fire, you know, even like soundtrack labels like Mondo. So, you know, we kind of really try to stretch our bounds. You know, I don't care if I write about Selena Gomez because some of my collectors love pop music and they want to know when stuff like that comes about. So you're going to find stuff like that, too. Um, we have a calendar, which I think is really handy. This is a calendar that has um, pressing information where you can buy records when they're coming out. I list all of it, and there's probably around two to 200 to 250 releases on the calendar at any given time for the next few months. So that's probably the most handy thing that we do. And then we have the podcast, which is the Modern Vinyl Podcast, and you can find that on iTunes, and it's really goofy and weird and... We try to be as weird as possible on it. So that's hey, that's the uh, that's the record store way. <laughs> yeah. At, at Modern Vinyl on Twitter, the the yes. calendar is absolutely vital. I I, I check it often because it it I basically because I with with my day job and and all my responsibilities, I don't have time to keep up with this on a day to day or even week to week. I'll basically check in like once a month and see what might be coming on the horizon. It's it's pretty helpful and. And this was a lot of fun. Maybe, you know, a future episode, a future season down the road, we can even hit on some other stuff. Anyone listening, feel free to tweet at Chris, who's at Modern Vinyl. You can, of course, tweet at me, at Matt Norlander. And if you, there are other aspects to this topic and discussion that you'd like us to hit on down the way, uh, or, or for Chris to hit on on the Modern Vinyl podcast, for sure, mm-hmm. uh, check it out. Because it's, man, it's, it's such a fun 
and and big component to to so many people's lives in terms of you know what they dedicate their money to and their time to i mean listening to music is is obviously a huge passion for so many people and and the album process you know listening to an album is something that you and i you know still care a lot about and so vinyl records are the are the biggest way in keeping that kind of spirit alive so chris thank you so much thank you so much for coming on man i appreciate it oh no problem thank you for having me really want to thank chris for coming on he's very passionate very knowledgeable about the subject do check out his site and be sure to follow him on on twitter because he has updates on all sorts of releases at every hour of the day basically anything that you think you might want to know about vinyl releases and who's coming out with stuff and what's getting pressed and repressed invaluable resource very much recommend it if the podcast in general made you think about wanting to take up some vinyl collecting or maybe restart your own collection for sure do it hit up your local record shops you know i did have some some critical things to say in terms of how prices of new records are really higher than they should be but used records man can't go wrong because there are so many good albums out there that have been sold back to record stores that are perfectly listenable to and in good condition for a buck maybe two bucks three bucks so i highly recommend doing that and it's an easy way to to induce yourself into a hobby that can become expensive and addictive if you let it but uh but it's very fun so i highly recommend that be sure to rate and review this podcast in itunes if you if you could be so kind want to get the word out to as many people as possible in this first season and thank you so much for listening you can hit me up at matt norlander on twitter and the podcast be sure to follow it because that's where the most direct frequent updates on this stuff and other random music trivia facts all that good stuff at records and riffs on twitter thank you so much head on to the next episode